Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Man, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Hi, I'm Lot, Lady of Tarth, hyphen posts on Tumblr. I'm joined with Eon. Hi, this is Eon, and you can find me at Eon Blue Negative on Tumblr. Chicky. Hey, this is Chicky. I am Chickren on Tumblr. Whitey. Hi, this is YD. You can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And returning with us this, uh, or this episode is Jess. Hi, this is Jess, and you can find me at, uh, Joyous Follies on Tumblr. Welcome. Hey. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Um, we're going to be discussing Game of Thrones Season 5, Episode 4. Um, and just, you know, as always, blanket spoiler warnings for books and show, and a trigger warning for potential rape discussion. And before we get into, you know, the, the episode discussion, we're going to do a little bit of, uh, what I'm gonna, a good, I'm gonna pen the chicken pen. <laughs> That sentence didn't make much sense. <laughs> like Chicky wanted to do some uh dub. I don't know, ratings talk, was it? Oh. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, we should talk about the Game of Thrones ratings because they've been um interesting this year. <laughs> I don't know how what else to say. The premiere was huge. I think they did like a huge news story on it. They had like over eight million people for yeah. the the premiere episode. Which is like and the then biggest, they had a big right? drop off. That's the, yeah, biggest, the biggest, yeah, it's the biggest number that I've ever had in, for any episode in the show's history. So it was huge. Well, that's and then, good. yeah, Chicky's right. There was a drop off, I think, to about six something in, in episodes two and three. I think that's about right. Yeah. And, and I think there's usually a little bit of a drop after the premiere, but mm-hmm. this was fairly significant statistically. It was a pretty big drop. So I don't know. There, a lot of people are theorizing that it might have been the leaked first four episodes that are out there. Mm. That no one wants to talk about. There's but leaked episodes. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> that is brand yeah. new information. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean it's possible that it could be the leaked episodes, but I would say that not everybody knows how to download a torrent. I personally don't know how to. Well, when you're talking about, I mean, like HBO's numbers all come from subscribers, and I feel like that's a slightly number one older age bracket and also, you know, like people who maybe wouldn't bother to pirate stuff because they don't need to. I don't know. Um I, I mean I could see a, a tiny blip being the, the leaks, but I can't imagine a huge drop like that being the leaks. I mean, at the same time we're saying huge drop, but these are massive numbers. I mean these are about as good as what the lowest episodes were last yeah. year. I think better. I have a theory though too. Maybe it's like people are, you know, hearing a lot about Game of Thrones. Like, oh, it's the biggest show in the world. You got to check it out. So I'm like, all right, this one's preparing. Maybe I'll see what the what the hoopla is about. And like, can you imagine coming into this show on season five? I'd be so lost. Yeah. I'm like, oh, oh fuck this. Oh, yeah. I feel like it is somewhat tied to what we discussed last week, and that is, it seems to me that from what I've seen online that. Well, I won't say general consensus, but there seems to be a lot of sort of negativity aimed towards a show this season from people. I don't think people are enjoying it as much as they did, for example, for season four, which I think, um, I mean, comparatively, I feel like season four was fairly action packed and, 
people may just be hoping for more of the same. And instead, we sort of saw a bit of a reset. I mean, a, a sort of a resetting of the major storylines. And it kind of involves more character and world-building stuff and less of the exciting plot stuff. So, yeah. you know, like we've got Sansa in Winterfell, we've got Arya in Bravos. Uh, Stannis and Davos are hanging out at the wall. Right now we're kind of in that plot building stage where things are a less actiony and probably a little less exciting to, to the viewer, maybe the more casual viewer, and some may be tuning out. Yeah, I've always been way more invested into like the characterization. Like that's always kind of what I've been, I've gravitated to. So I don't know, maybe that's why I've been enjoying season five. So much, much to my and surprise. I was gonna say we're like the outliers. John and the bull so much. Yeah, I've been. I've been. Yeah, like we're all adoring this season, so it's funny. It is. It's weird that like there's kind of a, a, yeah. a downdrift, but maybe I mean, after this episode, I, was, I feel like a lot happened this episode. Yeah, I I feel like this one is the best one of the season so far. At least it was for me. Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 it, it, we should probably note the ratings are still very very good. I mean, oh, yeah. there's still some of the best ratings around on this on this station as well. So Probably it's not best. <laughs> yeah, we're in. I don't think we're in any fear of the show being cancelled. It's verified error for sure. Right. It just seems that there has been a, a relatively significant dip from episode one through to episodes two and three. I guess we'll just see how how four goes and see how it continues on this season. I feel like. Perhaps as we go along the season, they may pick up some more viewers when, you know, we get some more of those maybe battle scenes or I guess as the plot progresses a little bit more. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Hmm. Okay. Ready to go on into the episode? Let's do it. All right. Um, so we start out with Jorah. Um, he is no thief. He throws two coins down for the man he steals a boat from. And then he throws <laughs> a bound Tyrion inside as well. And on another boat, we see a starry-eyed Jamie looking oh, longingly oh, at Tarth. Oh, God. Hot eyes, motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, I, I love this scene. I'm not going to lie. Um, yes, it's perhaps not exactly in line with the way book Jamie thinks about Brienne. I mean, he's kind of got this almost lovesick wistfulness on his face, which I love. But, I mean... To me, this scene is fantastic, not just because we're getting some awesome shippy goodness, but it's reminding us that Jamie hasn't forgotten about Brienne and that she is important to him. And and this is something that's kind of prevalent throughout Jamie's little monologue in his face chapters as well. So, you know, it was nice to see it on the show. I know that we all sort of had concerns at the end of last season that, oh, God, how are they going to show Jamie and Brienne thinking about each mm-hmm. other this season. Well, I think they found a damn good way. That's yeah. pretty in your um, face, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it might be a little more romantic and a little fluffier than what we might expect from book Jamie. Um, but to me... This I is don't care. Talking. I love it. Yeah, hey, we have to talk about <laughs> Jamie and Brienne. And to me, it signifies there's more to come because, you know, why would they be showing us this if they weren't going to then continue on in this thread? So there you go. I loved it. I may have rewatched it a few times already. <laughs> I'm only human. Oh, yeah. Only human. And we got to see Tarth, the island. Yes. We did. It's beautiful. Yep. I just wish we could have seen it, even for Hall. In the oh, yes, yes. Awesome. I was trying to look for it, but <laughs> that would have <laughs> been funny. Magnifying glass. It's like on the, <laughs> the DVD, I'm like an, a, an extended scene where he's like, and is that, is that Evanfall Hall? Oh, and is that, <laughs> he just like keeps <laughs> pointing out different <laughs> landmarks. Oh my God, <laughs> is that the fighting yard? Do you think Brienne fought there? 
<laughs> Just take my money me, now. What's so funny about this is, like, look at how much time and money must have gone into framing this all up just so that Jamie could stare at Tarth. I mean, <laughs> they actually broke out, like, green screen and shit and have all these guys crawling around on the deck of this ship just so that they can have this moment, and they CGI'd Tarth and everything. I mean, like, they really put some effort into this. That's what indicates to me that it's... It, there's more to come with these guys. Right. Why on earth would they actually take the time and the money, as you say, to set up this sort of elaborate <laughs> CGI scene just to have Jamie look... Look wistful over the blue waters of time. <laughs> they weren't going to actually take it anywhere, so yeah. I go, I go fifty-fifty on that. I'm like, either this is massive foreshadowing, or this is like a really quiet, like homage to the Jamie Brienne thing. I don't, I'm no. not completely convinced, but like, definitely, it's going one way or the other. It's almost like they went too far and they freaked me out to make me think it's just an homage to it. Honestly, they're just like, God, that's a lot of effort. Do you honestly feel like they would actually include this sort of scene if they weren't planning to do anything with it, though? I mean, it seems... Well, what I think is funny is that it manages to be entirely ambiguous. You know, if you weren't a shipper or weren't looking for it, you may not quite realize what's going on here. Oh, dude. Um, and I'm sure we'll have people who don't. I have no doubt that we will have people who will absolutely completely miss what this is supposed to be. So it is funny how they played it in a completely ambiguous way as far as, you know, dialogue and everything. Jamie doesn't say anything at all. It's just all on his face as he's like, shooting his load as he's looking at that. I've got to say that I watched with two unsullied who aren't, who are kind of ambivalent about Jamie and Brad, and they both picked it up big time. So, Aww. yeah, I mean, I, I have, I have high hopes. That's we'll awesome. see. <laughs> okay, that's that's great. Okay. Well, what, what, I have yeah. to say, since Calm isn't here. That scene with Jorah and Tyrion has to be the most poorly lit scene in the history of Game of Thrones. But what did it you think of their outfits? There actually was some pretty terrible lighting throughout this episode, actually. And it's it's not just this episode. Like, the Arya stuff in Bravos was also not oh, particularly well lit. Yeah, yeah that so was it's rough. been a continuing theme throughout this season so far, just, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay, let's go below decks where the lighting was okay. <laughs> Bron isn't too keen to go to Dorne. Um, Bron, uh, he asks why Jamie doesn't uh, just send an army. Jamie doesn't want to start a war. And, uh, he, uh, well, he doesn't want to explain what Jamie's doing there. I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> I tried to condense my notes and I've totally fucked them up. Oh, I know what this was. I know what this was. This is like, um, no, I don't know what this was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I so rarely I fuck up. Ron is like, Ron is like Jamie's therapist this season. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. He's like, you lay down on the chaise and tell me all about it, Jamie. Because <laughs> Jamie just Jamie gets to talk about everything. I'm going to tell you how things are going with Cersei, and I'm going to tell you how I feel about my kids, and then let's talk about Tyrion. It's just like, let's run through your life, Jamie. Yes, Ron is the mechanism by which the inner monologue is made out. Uh, and it's it's they're you know, doing a pretty good job with it as well, actually. Um, yeah, look, I don't have a huge amount to say about this scene, to be honest. Can we go back to the first scene? <laughs> I mean, the second. You want? <laughs> well. Uh, and anyway, there's this bit where Bronn correctly guesses that it was Jamie who sent Tyrion free, and he says, give him my regards, and then Jamie, he's not feeling any kind of warm and fuzzies towards his brother anymore, and says he'll split him in two. So... I guess this is kind of setting up. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I do love that when Bron was talking to Jamie, how he was talking about 
uh, the Dornish, like they love to fight and fuck. And I just love how he's talking about that to Jamie. Because, of course, I think of Jamie and Brienne. Mm-hmm. Why? And I just, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I just love the way that he was talking about that. And, like, obviously, Jamie can relate. <laughs> yes. He- <laughs> There's, like, a <laughs> line in there, I think, where he says something like, uh, nothing gets you in the mood better yes. than a fight. And I'm like, Jamie would know about that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I good love point, that. Jess. Yeah, that's good. I didn't even pick up that. That's a good one. Um. We're going to go on to this small council meeting. Um, we have Mace, and he's reporting on the Iron Bank and, you know, that it wants its money. And uh, Mace is ultimately honored to be sent there by Cersei to give um, their regards to the bank. And I just felt so bad for poor Mace. <laughs> I love Mace. Like, <laughs> he's so earnest and cheerful and in love with the sound of his own voice. Like, <laughs> what does he say? He says, um when they're talking about the crown owing the Iron Bank money and he says, well, House Tyrell could front the bill for the crown and the crown could pay us back in time or I'll have words with my daughter. (laughs) 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 He just thinks he's so funny and honestly, I think he's so funny. I love Mace. I know, I'm I'm getting quite attached to Mace as well. And you know what? She's probably going to have him killed so don't get too attached. But he's so willing to just get out of the way, so maybe she won't have to. Might not, yeah, he might be happy just to stay in Bravos. Yeah, if everyone could just act like me, Cersei would be perfectly content. I know. <laughs> Cersei's well. Cersei's also sending Marin Trant with him too to guard oh, yeah, him. That's true. And guard I can him. really see we might have like um, Marin Trant get there and Arya sees him, and we might have her actually see her kill him. I think it's happening. Oh. It'll kind of be like I'm the Mercy excited. chapter. Also, like, whenever, um, in a dance, is it a dance with dragons? Whenever she kills Darien and she gets punished by becoming blind. Yes. Yeah. You think that's this might happen? be her punishment? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's going to happen. Eon's usually okay. right about these things. I, I put money down. <laughs> Anyways, Mace is, uh, dismissed. Pycelle has a comment about how small the small council truly is getting. And Cersei gets this little <laughs> dig in. Not small enough. Poor Pycelle <laughs> can't catch a break. Like, first all his prostitutes are arrested, and now Cersei's making digs at <laughs> Rough times for Pycelle. Also, is it Marin Trant? Is it Marin Trant, like, one of... He's usually the one that actually guards Cersei, so I think that's a bad move on her part to actually send him away. Well, soon she's going to have the mountain, so... <laughs> It's okay. No, that's Very a good true. point, though. You're right. She's even sending away people she doesn't need to send away who are really right. good allies. Not, yeah, that's Do you true. think she knows, do you, I mean, do you think she knows what's coming? Because she's been down with, in Kyburn's lair enough times. Maybe she knows soon she'll have her own protection. Maybe that's it. We could go with that. Yeah. Maybe that's it, yeah. Um. Mm. Um, so with the High Sparrow, um, we have a scene with Cersei in the High Sparrow and he refuses wine and he confesses he doesn't like the taste. And Can I just say something? I don't trust this man. <laughs> like, I was going to say, as soon as he knocked back her offer of wine, Cersei should have known right then that he wasn't the person to team up with. Right? Like, totally. really, Cersei, this is yeah. not the man who's right for you. <laughs> Your interests do not align. Sorry, Jess. What was... What was- Oh, sorry, go ahead, Jess. Oh, no, I was just agreeing. I just said, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, what was Jamie's line with Roos um, in season three where he was like, you must know how suspicious that seems to normal people, Oh, Jess. that's right. <laughs> Spot, on. Spot on. 
I love Cersei's face when she's like, whoops, and just like pushes the wine away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she did that well. Uh, oh, Cersei pitches the idea of uh, reinstating the faith militant. And then um, she mentions a sinner that's in their very midst, shielded by gold and privilege. And, uh, he, Is it her? Well, he <laughs> says him, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, she's talking about Loris. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it's funny. It's, um,. So Cersei's planning to to reinstate the faith militant, which is something she does in the books, but it's a, a little bit of a different rationale from why mm. she does it in the books. Because in the books, um, she wants, I think, the High Septon to bless Tommen, and I think she also wants to do it because the Crown owes the faith a, an enormous debt, so she wants right. him to fix that debt. And here, what are they suggesting? That she wants to reinstate the faith militant to... To take down Loris, like is that the sole purpose for that? Yeah, but it's it like what I. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I was just gonna say what I find funniest about this is in the books. You know, even though Cersei convinces herself it was her idea, you can kind of see that the High Septon is manipulating yes. her into it. And <laughs> here it's just entirely Cersei's right. idea. I mean, it kind of continues this thing of the show just continuing to make her look Stupid. almost. Stupider than I, she does in the book. I was about it's to say, crazy. it might even be slightly worse in the story now, like than it was. Yeah. Before. Um. You well, know, I've actually been pretty pleased with Cersei's characterization this season, and you know, you all know I'm one of the show's biggest detractors when it comes to Cersei. I've had a lot of stuff to say. They've they've kind of softened her character. They've not really portrayed her as the as the true narcissist she is. Um, and there have been some missteps with her this season. I mean, you know, her scene in episode one with Jamie and her little scene with Marjorie last week, they weren't perfect for me either. But other than that, I actually feel like show Cersei has been more book Cersei than she pretty much ever has been. And we're yes. really, we're really seeing her pettiness and her flawed reasoning skills and, and her inability to think outside herself. Like it's not enough really sexy disgusting. times though. Not, not enough, enough sexy times. Sorry, Eon, go ahead. Yeah, Eon was oh, much I, I just, I totally agree. I mean, I noticed with this episode, they have totally stopped with so- softening her character this episode. Yeah, I think what they're doing it, is I'm, totally ended. Yeah, sorry, Eon. I was just going to say, I think what they're doing is kind of, I guess, reverting back to that book, Cersei, or at least finally bringing her in to kind of, I don't know, build up, I don't want to say the hatred of her, but build up those sort of negative aspects of her right before she takes a fall, because we know that she's, we know what's to come for Cersei this season, so I I assume that's what they're doing. Hmm. Okay, let's go on to the next uh, bit. It's the Sparrows, and they're setting to work on destroying all of the fun stuff in the city. Um, They're Smashing barrels of liquor and carving. Oh, no. Is there a worse crime? Come on, this is terrible. <laughs> Cersei, this is your fault too. This is Cersei's fault. <laughs> can't agree with this. Oh, God. They're breaking up little fingers brothel, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, how does this place stay in business? Like this place is constantly under attack. The <laughs> worst shit happens in this brothel. Oliver. Oliver keeps like appealing to people who come in to sack the place and being like, "Do you realize this is Littlefinger's establishment?" And like, no, no one cares. Oliver. No one in fact, that's why they're there, Oliver. They targeted Littlefinger's brothels first. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a oh, and there's a she mentioned there's a quick scene with two men who were caught in the act, and they're being especially punished, which of course will set up um, when we see Loras getting arrested. Mm. By yeah. a really fanatic like, Lancel. 
I've got to say that for such a brief scene, it was a really effective scene in establishing all the stuff that's coming, like Lancel's indoctrination into the faith militant and presumably also the impetus for Oliver to testify against Loras because we, remember we had those spoiler photos uh, from an upcoming episode where it looked like that's the sort of thing that was going down. And, yeah, I mean, with all the brutality and the sinister music, man, it was a really powerful montage. Like, Well, yeah, well it really clearly showed how terrified Oliver was, yeah. so it really did yeah. set it up. I mean, mm-hmm. You can see the seeds of it. And I kind of like the way that the show – I'm not like – I understand why they have kind of flattened the faith militant. I mean, in the books – you understand how the sparrows have all come to be and why they're flocking to King's Landing. And, and, you know, just like it would have been in, in feudal Europe, you know, the, sometimes the religious system kind of, um, worked as an outlet for the common people to express their displeasure, um, with, you know, their nobility and their leaders. And, you know, George really embraces that, but I can kind of understand why the show is taking this more, you know, no, these are just flat out bad guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, I think they're painting it well as fanatics and they're, and I think the casting of Jonathan Price as the High Sparrow is perfect because it does give kind of a human face to it, but I kind of like the way that they're playing it out actually. This is, this is, this is really well done. And as you said, this montage plays beautifully. It's just one of those things you just kind of sit there and watch and don't even really think about. You're just invested in what's happening. Yeah. And man, that ending with the confrontation between Lancel and Loris, that was harrowing. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Justice. Right. Oh man. <laughs> Yeah, I love that they're doing the actual carving of the the seven pointed yes, star and yeah. heads too. Yeah. I mean it's crazy. When Lancel like popped up with it, it's so funny, I was so stupid. I didn't realize that it was Lancel who was having that donut. I was just <laughs> so and I was just like, Couldn't you just get a henna tattoo? Did you have oh, to go right. super <laughs> You're not committed. You're not committed to the cause. Right. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Marjorie um, gets word and demands answer of self poor Toman, who's, you know, just trying to enjoy his dinner. <laughs> Marjorie switches gears pretty quick from anger, and then she kind of collapses into the chair and looks sad, and Toman can't have that, and he tells her he'll set her brother free. And uh, I could I love that. Did you guys get that moment where, like, Toman gets this look on his face when Marjorie first comes in, and he's like, wait a minute, you and my mom aren't best friends? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor naive little Tommen. Yeah, you know what was interesting to me was seeing Marjorie's sort of happy newlywed facade crack just for that brief moment. Um, but then of course she quickly slips back into the role of loving wife to, to manipulate Tommen some more. It was interesting to see her lose it for just that brief moment. And obviously later on we get to see her lose it for real. You know, I, I thought it was really well played. Yeah, I, I do. I couldn't help think about, you know, that saying when they say that you always kind of marry the, of who your parent was. So like if, you know, a woman, you marry who your father's like. I was like, is Tommen like Mace? <laughs> oh, I thought you were about to say Marge is like Cersei and I can see yeah, this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It works, right? <laughs> it works both ways. It works both ways. <laughs> oh, anyway, uh, Tommen takes the matter to Cersei and uh, she advises him that he should go and speak with the High Sparrow. And on the steps of the sept, Tolman is halted by a group of faith militant. And um, I'm not sure which one of the white cloaks it was, but he pretty much just offers to, you know, kill them right off. And uh, you can hear the people starting to shout at Tolman, you know, abomination, filthy bastard. And uh, Tolman just says, we'll find another way. And when he returns no, to Mar- it's funny. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh, I was just going to say, Tolman tells women. Marjorie there was no way to avoid violence. Marjorie turns a little on Cersei, turns a little Cersei on us, and then, um, well, Marge <laughs> checks into a hotel for the night. <laughs> I was going to say, it really looks like Tolman isn't going to be getting any from Marge for a while. And we all breathe, breathe a big sigh of relief, except Tolman. <laughs> yeah, what were you going to say, Chicky? But- well, I was just going to say, it's so funny when they, when they had the, you know, I think it was just random people in the street who were yelling at Tommen, you know, bastard and abomination. Kind of made you wonder, is this the first time that Tommen has heard that stuff? I mean, he was so much younger than Joffrey. We knew that Joffrey heard those rumors. Like, when was that? Like, season three when he confronted Cersei? Mm-hmm. I want to say season three when Joffrey had a big confrontation with Cersei about the rumors about her and Jamie. But has Tommen even heard this before? The I- way that... I feel like surely he must have. I mean, he must have been outside since then. And I'm, I feel like the, I mean, you, what, what are you saying? You think that perhaps the, uh, the small folk haven't made as vocal with those claims since, since the thing with Joffrey went down or? I mean, I feel like it hasn't really been hit very hard. I don't know. I, I mean, we haven't seen it anyway, but it's just the way that, that he played it in the scene. Yeah. It kind of was like, what, what is going on? Like you couldn't, maybe it was just that anybody would yell at him. He was surprised about it. <laughs> People yell? Poor Tommen. Yeah. Me? Me? I'm so good though. <laughs> but I, I love everything about this too. I love how smug Cersei was. Oh my god. Lena is so good this season. Oh, that was perfect. She's just <laughs> so, so happy with herself. <laughs> so good and so stupid. Oh god, it was perfect. Like, this was another one of those montages where it's just like, they, well it wasn't really a montage, but they really just played it from one moment to the next and, Oh god, this is part of what's making this season so amazing for me. I feel like there's just movement in the story in a way that we just haven't seen from Game of Thrones before. And the way that they're handling some of this stuff is just so deft this season. Um and and a couple of these, like the montage with the faith and this whole interplay between Tom and Cersei and Marjorie is just beautiful. Yeah, the King's Landing stuff has been quite spectacular, I have to agree. I'm enjoying every second of it, except yeah. for maybe the Tom and Marjorie love this. Mm. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. Let's go out on a good note. <laughs> uh, so we're at the wall, and uh, Selyse is questioning Stannis's obvious man crush on Jon Snow. She laments that <laughs> she cannot give him a son. Melisandre tells Selyse that the Lord of Light cares nothing about Shireen's scars. And there's a bit of an eye exchange between the two women and Selyse takes mm-hmm. off. Stannis oh. plans on marching on Winterfell before the snows come. Mel casts a bit of shade on Davos and uh, Stannis reassures her that he will not leave her behind for this battle. Okay, so two things in this scene. First thing is, and this is something that is not just solely in this scene, and that is they really seem to be highlighting John's parentage this season. I mean, we have right. we have Celise calling John the bastard of some tavern slut, and then we have Stannis responding, perhaps, but that wasn't Ned Stark's way. Um, yeah. They're really laying it on thick with all the Rhaegar and Lyanna mentioned so far in season five. Does anyone yeah. else think we're going to get a reveal this season? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I would, so I would say... This episode in particular is hitting it really hard. Mm-hmm. Like this scene is kind of like exhibit A. But yeah, yeah and then like, we have the um, you know, in the crypts of Winterfell, the Lyanna and Rhaegar story, and I think we have there's one more mention as well. Oh, when uh, was it Barristan talking to Danny about Rhaegar? Yeah, yeah, the loot playing. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I think that might be happening. The other thing in this scene is, man, I am worried for Shireen. I mean, that yes. look between. Mel and Solace yeah. and, and Mel sort of 
confirming it's okay she's got the king's blood you know she's mm. her father's daughter the scars mean nothing to the lord of light oh man i and and you know we have that scene coming up between stannis and and shireen they're really <laughs> they're kind of bringing it all to the forefront and i am pretty concerned oh, about shireen's well-being george, george oh, you God. better fucking not <laughs> i mean i feel like maybe Elise may do something to put Shireen in jeopardy, but then perhaps she, maybe this is just the optimist in me, but perhaps she's saved and then Stannis might have to deal with Elise. I don't know. I hope that's it because I, I just want Shireen to live forever. Yeah. I feel like it's not going to happen, but yeah, no, there, there was a an icky vibe in this scene oh. uh, with regard to Shireen for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Let's go on to the next bit, and it's uh, John and Sam. They're answering correspondences or sending out correspondences. Like they're asking lords for men for the wall. And yeah. then John halts yes. at the Bolton's letter and uh, says, not him. And uh, John isn't happy, but eventually he will sign the letter that Sam gives him. Um, Sam leaves, Melisandre enters, and then she invites him to chase the rats out of Winterfell. Melisandre senses John's... Uh, Weakness for redheads and disrobes and attempts to seduce. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I had something to say about this scene, but then I got distracted by Carice Van Houten's perfect Gee. boobs. Oh, um, <laughs> and then she asked, and then she asked if he could feel her heartbeat through her boob. Okay, okay, ladies, that's not how you okay. do it. Okay, okay, cut. <laughs> Put your hand on your boob. Do you feel a pulse? I don't. I already, I already did this. I already wait, wait, wait. I did not. Turn your webcams on first. This is going to be a Patreon <laughs> episode. Hey, oh my god! We'll make your dozens of like dollars. <laughs> I mean, my boobs are much bigger than hers, so maybe that was why. But no, I know I can't feel my heart through my boob. Oh, is it? Are we? I admit who who here has is actually doing it? Be I'm honest, doing it right now. <laughs> Ian's like, I'm feeling myself up right now, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> but was she after a shadow baby? Like, what is she I mean, doing? That's what it sounds yeah. like. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds yeah. like. You know, we're now joining this power—the power to make life. But I think she talks about shadows as well. So yeah, yeah she she just wants another son. So she's well, sensing she's some power in him. There is. I feel like this is another one of another Rhaegar. Yeah, this is another yeah. Rhaegar shout out. I mean, you could look at it as you know, yeah, sure, his brother was a king, but I mean, I think it's actually just kind of a really veiled reference to clearly what we're going to hit sometime this season. I, feel I, like don't even, I think season. book readers, it wasn't veiled at all. <laughs> but yeah, as soon as she said, well, you've got the king's blood, I'm like, yep, Rhaegar. <laughs> I'm not buying it. We all know Jon Snow's the product of Ned and Lyanna. We all know. <laughs> Ned Yana! Nana, that's what okay I call it. Whole, I'm surprisingly okay with the whole Jon and Mel thing. I don't know. It's kind of working for me. I'm going to be really honest. I'm not really sure why. It seems like it's working for John too, because it's like he's like, no, no, I still love a grit, but you can like, he's still like giving her a breast exam anyway at the same time. So it's like, I'm not gonna lie, it may just be my giant girl crush on Carice, but it was kind of hot. Kind of hot. She was hot. She was hot. I really yeah, liked thanks, the yes. the parting exchange when um they she did the whole oh, you yeah. know nothing John Snow. I thought that yes. was so well done. 
gosh. So I love glad they included that. that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next scene, we have Stannis and Shireen, and um, Stannis asks if she's bored. She says she's not, that she likes it here, and she also says that she knows her mother didn't want to bring her. And he asks, why Why do you say that? Well, she told me so. <laughs> that was a funny response. Oh, Celeste but, uh, doesn't hold it back. She just lets you know that she hates you daily. Yeah. And then we get this uh, story about the traitor's doll and how, you know, when she was a little girl, she pressed it to her cheek and that's how she got grayscale and how Stan is called every healer and maester and he wouldn't, he refused to send her away even though others told him to. And, you know, he said she's his daughter and, uh, that's not, that's not what he was going to do with his princess. So I was just, uh, I thought it was such a sweet scene. I like this oh, one. Oh, God, I loved this scene. I mean, look, the exposition I found a little bit clunky, but not so much that it stopped me from shedding a couple of tears. Aww, and that's the yeah. second time in two damn episodes that I've cried over this show. Um, yeah. Yes, I really. What I really love about the scene, it really shows Stannis in a totally different light than what the average show viewer has seen from him. It actually makes like the viewer care for him. And I think we really need that to happen because people really were rooting for the Starks. They really like that good versus evil stance. And we don't have that since the Red Wedding. And we really need to get behind Stannis because he's trying to, 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 you know, save the North. I and take know. back Winterfeld, and we need that. Well, I'm on Team Roos, so... No, just kidding. <laughs> Get out. Get no, out. I, I totally agree with you, Eon. Like, I think that in this one brief scene, I think we have come to care... Well, I mean, I already love Stannis, but I think maybe the casual viewer has come yes. to love Stannis more than they have in the entire series. Like, I mean, we've talked about this, well, I was going to say a little bit, we've pretty much talked about it at length in previous episodes, I'll only briefly touch on it now, but that is, it seemed to me that up until season five, the show really has only kind of highlighted the negative aspects of Stannis, the fact that he is really hard, he is relentless in his pursuit of justice, and this scene is showing us, you know, this guy's a human being and he loves his daughter. And not just this scene, but this season, we have seen so much more from Stannis, just that, you know, he's, he's kind of this funny guy and he actually is not a bad guy um, in terms of his interactions with John. You know, he's really trying to help him out. Um, yeah, look, this scene I loved. I, I thought Stephen Delane and Carrie Ingram did an amazing job in this scene. And, you know what else was interesting? They really do seem to be hyping up the grayscale. I think it was Chicky who mentioned it. Was it you, Chicky, that mentioned yeah. it last mm-hmm. out? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Do you think they're going for an all-out grayscale sort of... I think so. I don't know if like... it's just that Tyrion is going to have a run-in with the Stone Men because they mm-hmm. managed to mention the Stone Men again as they well. They did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't the Pale yeah. Mare like a big thing with uh, Danny's uh, journey? With marine and yeah, but that's more it's like not grayscale, though. dysentery. Yeah. Or something. But I'm saying, oh, yeah. couldn't you see them replacing that epidemic with just going with grayscale? Well, I think grayscale will be an epidemic. I think yeah. we're going to see the Westerosi epidemic of grayscale in Winds or into Dream of Spring. I think that's... Um, I feel like George is setting up for that. So yeah, yeah, I think this is actually laying groundwork for for future plot for sure. Yeah, something big. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that that's probably something that is quite important coming up in the books. Yeah, you know what I what I just want to say about this scene? This reminds me of what Game of Thrones delivered so well in season one. And that is, you know, it's giving you a moment that you couldn't get in the books because of, you know, POV reasons. 
Um, but that feels really good and true. I mean, I'm not going to say, I don't love what the show has done with Celise. I mean, you know, Celise loves Shireen as much as Stannis in the books. Yeah. Um, I get why they've done what they've done on the show, but even still, it's just like the beauty of this moment. And, and, you know, you can imagine that something like this could kind of happen between Shireen and Stannis, maybe not exactly the same way, but, um, it was, it's just one of those really beautiful moments that only Game of Thrones can do. And I feel like we've been getting some of these this season that we haven't had since like, I don't know, maybe season three or so. It's just wonderful. Yeah, I agree yes. with you. I feel like, um, this is the kind of thing that we got way back when, when we had Ned talking to Arya and sort of Ned and his daughter, these kind of, I guess familial scenes. Um, they don't necessarily have to mm-hmm. be familial, but I understand what you mean about the point of view. Um, restraints, I guess, or restrictions and, and how you can't, well, I mean, obviously in the books, we, we can't really get this sort of thing between Stannis and Shireen, but yeah, it's something that, I, that can play out much better on a screen, um, when you can actually see their faces, because that's really what sells it in most, most cases. It's not so much the dialogue than the actual emotional reaction on faces. And I think this one was a really, really beautiful one. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. All right, let's go on to the Crypts of Winterfell. Uh, we have Sansa lighting candles. She stops at Lyanna's statue, picks up the feather that uh, Robert had left back in season one. And then we see Littlefinger is lurking about. They speak of Ned and how he would have come down here to, you know, pay respects to Lyanna. And we know why, because he was in love with her. And then Littlefinger <laughs> recounts the Get tournament. <laughs> Little figure recounts the tournament at Harrenhal, uh, Rhaegar, and how he snubbed Elia, and he laid a winter roses on Eliana's lap. And then he has this line where he's like, um, how many had to die because Rhaegar chose your aunt? And then Sansa rightly points out he also raped and kidnapped her too. Uh, Sansa deduces that Littlefinger is leaving by his riding clothes. He informs her he's returning to King's Landing. He tells her Stannis will march on Winterfell. He'll free her, make her wardness of the North, and uh, if not, she will make this Bolton boy hers. He gives her a creepy kiss. And that's the end of the scene. <laughs> For sure, a creepy it was kiss. creepy. Yeah, look, <laughs> I, I find it difficult to believe that Littlefinger would leave his most important pawn behind in Winterfell with a castle full of psychopaths. Like, <laughs> but he doesn't know it, that. <laughs> well, he, yeah, he doesn't know that, and it's also cool because Stannis is coming to save her, apparently. So. Oh, God. I mean, I mean I, what is it's just so game? flimsy, it's hard to get into. Yeah, what is his game here? I mean, you know, it's they're making it sound yeah. like he's hedging his bets on the Stannis and Bolton battle and hiding behind well, his head of the North, but what they're trying to they're trying to paint it as though he thinks that she has to marry Ramsay in order to get Stannis on her side, which is just silly. Uh. I mean, I, I don't understand what. I mean, it really doesn't make any sense, and it also makes no sense for him to leave her behind. Like, it's, you just can't really believe that he no. would. No. Um, at least not any iteration of a book, Littlefinger. It just doesn't match up. I mean, this is far too dangerous a place for her to be. Mm-hmm. Plus, the fact it just stretches belief so much to imagine. Even without Varys, I mean, you've got Kyburn as the master of whispers, and it's like Kyburn was in the Bolton camp. You're telling me he doesn't have spies among the mm-hmm. Bolton men and right. wouldn't hear that Sansa Stark was up there and immediately yeah. tell Cersei and that Littlefinger wouldn't be walking into a trap in, oh, yeah. in, in King's Landing. I mean, it just stretches credulity Ooh. too much. I, I mean, you know, it's it's just impossible to get into whatever Littlefinger's motivation may be unless they have got something up their sleeve that would somehow make this all <laughs> make 
some sort of sense. Oh, I don't think they do. We said did it. Why, <laughs> why would Stannis make Sansa queen of the north or warden of yeah. the north whenever well, he... I'm sure he knows that she's still married to Tyrion. Don't worry, I'm sure Lannister. little finger has told him that they're getting an annulment. <laughs> Look, I've worked it out, you guys. I've worked it out. You know, yeah. I mean... What else is really interesting to me is looking at Sansa and Littlefinger's interaction in this scene and, and seeing how they've been interacting throughout the season, actually. I wonder how exactly Sansa views Littlefinger because she, to me she really does seem to trust him and she clearly feels comfortable around him. I mean, physically at ease. We just, you know, he leans in for that kiss. She doesn't recoil. In fact, she kind of leaned into it. Um, and, she, you know, she seems to trust Littlefinger enough to... Agree to marry Ramsay for revenge and stay alone in this godforsaken place with the murderers who killed half her family. Like, why do you, I totally agree with you. Like, I feel like that's how Sophie is playing it. But it, what is so interesting is we had that interview from Gwen Christie after episode two, after the meeting between Brienne and Sansa. Yes. And Gwendolyn Christie says that in that scene, Sansa was supposed to be playing it as though she gave Brienne a look that said, no, you really need to get out of here. This yeah, you don't want to be involved in this mess. Yeah, Which kind of oh. implies that there maybe is supposed to be something else going on with Sansa, that mm-hmm. she is a little more skeptical of Littlefinger than what I feel like we're seeing on screen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's really difficult to read what's going on That's the thing I wanted to talk about, because I also read that interview, and I did not see that in Sansa's face at all. And, it, mm-hmm. and all I, honestly, all I have seen in Sansa with regards to her feelings towards Littlefinger at this stage, is that she trusts him implicitly. I mean, how else can you explain that she would be, you know, happy to be left behind in this? Well, firstly, agree to this situation, and secondly, to be happy to be, for him to go back to King's Landing and leave her to fend for herself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Wasn't there a uh, question yeah. that we got to? Um, somebody had sent in a question about... Oh, yeah, what was that? Did, yeah. Might be a good place yeah, to did. squeeze that in. Can you pull it up real yeah, quick? Yeah, let's... Let's see, it says, don't you think Littlefinger could have been pretending that he hadn't heard of Ramsay in order to endear himself? If it, if it fits with his manipulative and lying personality, was that it? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. So, so could, could Littlefinger be lying about not knowing the extent of Ramsay's depravity? <laughs> okay. For what? I, I feel like they put that into the show. To say, hey, Littlefinger doesn't actually know how bad it might get for Sansa. <laughs> They're trying to excuse it away. Um, maybe. I, I'm finding it very difficult to reconcile this whole situation with logic. I'm not, I, I'm not entirely sure what's happening <laughs> at any point of this storyline. Yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, it's like, to answer the question, it's like, yes, I, I could see that Littlefinger was pretending he hadn't heard about Ramsay. But then on the other hand, we hit this scene. And it's like, no, it almost seems like he must not know anything about Ramsay or he right. wouldn't be leaving her behind because she, even if he doesn't actually care about her, which, I mean, books and show, you get the feeling he actually does have some personal feelings for Sansa. They may not be, you know, as strong as a normal person's feelings, but he feels something for her. But even beyond that, she's a massive pawn for him. Like, she mm-hmm. is, she is a key to so much of what he wants to accomplish. And it's like, she's in mortal peril if you leave her in Winterfell with Right. I think that Littlefinger cares about Sansa. I think Littlefinger cares about power more. So, look, even if Littlefinger trusted Roose, which would be an incredibly stupid thing to do, but hey, show Littlefinger might do it. (laughs) Roose really has no... I mean, 
we've seen him kind of keep Ramsey under control in certain places, but Ramsey is really kind of a wild card. If 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 Littlefinger knows about Ramsey, he would know that Sander is not particularly safe there. So, yeah, to answer the question, maybe maybe he he could be lying about knowing about Ramsey, but but then that makes it worse. Almost. It makes yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's illogical on so many levels and it's just, you find yourself going in circles trying to explain it. So let's just stop the circles. We're going to go on. Um, <laughs> My brain yeah. hurts. Yeah, we have Bronn and Jamie on a boat. No sign of Gendry anywhere. Um, I love this uh, little exchange with the hand, because uh, as Bronn's rolling, Jamie's just like, sorry, oh, I can't help you out. <laughs> no I'm hand. I'm going to say that um, this scene, there was some really good Jamie characterization in this scene, because I know we had we have issues with some other aspects of his, his portrayal this season, but we got a lot of Jamie sass in this scene. Um, there were all those little gestures with the hand saying, hey, I can't help, can't row with one hand. Um, and he also makes some comments a bit further on. Uh, so... I'm, I'm glad they're at least maintaining that, that aspect of Jamie's personality. Mm-hmm. We also had this scene too where they're on the beach and, you know, they're having, enjoying a breakfast of snakes. And, um, <laughs> they start talking about how they'd like to die. And then, um, Jamie has this line where he says, in the arms of the woman I love. Mm. So, Which is another but- really Jamie thing to say. I mean, this is Jamie. This is the, the things he does. He does for love. It's all about love for Jamie. He doesn't care about uh, politics or power or legacy, which is why the scene in episode one <laughs> felt really off to me. Um, and I know I've heard some people suggest that he may be referring to Brienne in this scene when he talks about dying in the arms of the woman he loves. No. I think 100% that's not the case. Alas, no. he's talking about Cersei. But then right. Ron raises a good point. Does she feel the same about you? Right. Um, and I feel like that's a little foreshadow of, of what's to come, really. I mean, this is this is the beginning of the end, I think, for Jamie. Yes. First. We know that they're not in a good place already. Um, we know that the conflict, there's a conflict between them, and that's essentially why Jamie is in Dawn. And now here's Bronn saying, well, you know, you might want to die in her arms, but would she want the same? And you actually see Jamie's clearly taken aback by it's this like the first time he gave him, any thought yeah, to this. Yeah, you can see him really thinking about, um, whether Cersei actually shares his devotion. And in my mind, this doubt that Jamie has now, it's only going to grow for him until hopefully we get to a place where we are in the books with Jamie realizing just who Cersei is and, and how he's really only ever been a tool for her to get what she wants. And, and this is kind of like where Chicky's theory comes in about the necklace. And I really, really, really hope that this is what happens because I think it would be absolutely perfect for Jamie to, to get to Marcella, see yeah. that she has the necklace at some stage and say, whoa, okay, wait a minute. And then it'll just, uh, I think, spiral. Yeah. And There'll be a, a moment with a letter type situation. Do you go this way or do you go that way? And he burns the fucking letter. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, they get <laughs> spotted on the oh, beach. Oh, I was going to oh, say a lot before you go, hunt. I feel like this was a really great callback to that Tyrion moment in season one when he and Bronn get caught by uh, the the people oh, the, in the, the Vale, you know, and, yeah. and Tyrion talks about dying with with a belly full of wine and, I don't know, a, a girl's mouth a around his cock, whatever yeah. it is. I feel like it was a great callback to that with Bronn, too. <laughs> you think Bronn's picked up some stuff from Tyrion? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it 
it was a great callback. You know, I actually, did you notice Dave Hill, who's a new writer this season, who has been an assistant to um, Benioff and Weiss, I think, for the last couple of years? Um, this was his first episode that he's written. And I feel like this and, like, the feather that Robert left in season one, mm. which is not a, a book thing, is a show thing. I feel like he threw in a couple of callbacks yeah. to show stuff. Yeah, yeah he did. Which is kind of a nice touch because it was well done to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. So I mean, like I said, I think this was this is the best episode of the season so far. And uh, so it's a totally brand great. new writer that wrote this episode, which makes it even better, I think. Mm. Someone's been doing their research, and yeah, it definitely shows. For real. Cares. Yeah, within the show, which is yeah. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so they get spotted on the beach, and Jamie claims that he can take one if he's slow, and the Dornish soldiers aren't um, buying their story of a shipwreck. And Jamie's shark fin edition really doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, and see, see what I mean about the sass? Like, I, I love seeing, I love seeing Jamie as he's meant to be. And that is, he doesn't give a fuck. He's just going to sass everyone if he can. <laughs> you know, I saw somebody on Reddit, though, catch that this is a jump the shark joke. <laughs> I could very They knew be. people were going to say that they were jumping the shark by Go sending on. Jamie to Japan. Yeah. I can I see like, that. Oh, that's funny. Well, preempting. Good we'll job, see. Dave we'll Hill. See. Good job. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Uh, it turns into an all-out brawl. Uh, Braun leaves Jamie with an injured Dornishman, and uh, Jamie's hand comes in handy. Sorry, couldn't help myself. <laughs> I see what you did there, lot. I see it. <laughs> uh, Jamie, when it's all done, Jamie wants the bodies buried. Um, but then, you know, it's the same situation with the boat. He just can't help shovel. who got the one hand. <laughs> And Braun gets to work. Uh, oh, God. No- See, you know, I agree with YD. I feel like Jamie really is characterized better in these scenes, but I feel like he was hit with a stupid stick. Oh, um, man. He, I- he says some really brain-dead stuff here. I mean, like, we've got this whole thing of I can't start a war, and you're just sitting there looking at what he's trying to do, and it's like, Jamie, this is totally going to start a war. I think what they're saying is, oh, you know, we'll sneak in before anyone finds out, so we won't start a war. Yeah, you might not start a war right at that very second, but what do you think the daughters are going to do when they realize that their princess is gone? And where she is, exactly. which and will be like, King's Landing. <laughs> even the little things like, oh, we got to bury these bodies. It's like, people are still going to notice that these guards are missing, Jamie. Yeah. Like, here yeah, right. well, and also yeah. the fact that Jamie thought it was enough to pay off the ship's captain with a bag of gold. Like, did he really yeah, think too. that was? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So there are. I agree. There is dumb. Yeah, there have certainly been some missteps with Jamie's characterization. But you know, like I said, it was nice to actually see at least some of his personality remain. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, next bit, we get the Sand Snakes uh, hanging out, and Alaria rides up to tell them that Doran will not avenge Oberyn. They reveal the ship's captain, who is buried in the sand and was tortured, uh, revealing Jamie is in Dorn. And right away, she guesses it's for Marcella. Alaria wants them to choose revenge or peace. Obara makes her decision known in a quite dramatic fashion. She throws her spear through the guy's head. It's a pretty cool move. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I actually was pretty disappointed in this sand snake scene. Yeah. Oh, Especially yeah. with Obara. I actually, Obara is one of my favorite sand snake snakes. And it's like in the book, she's supposed to be pretty tall, like very long legged. 
And in the show, it looks like she's one of the shortest sand snakes. Yeah. And the way she delivered that speech. It was terrible. It was bad. It was so bad. It just felt so over-rehearsed and unnatural. Well, I I couldn't tell whether Keisha Castle-Hughes, who plays Obara, was just having difficulty with the accent or whether she too thought the writing was terrible and it translated to a performance. I thought she was like channeling Michelle Rodriguez from Fast and the Furious. That's what I I thought she was <laughs> like, yeah, her monologue was awful. I mean, Abara's meant to be this crazy, strong, fierce warrior, and I got absolutely none of that from her portrayal in the really? scene. Yeah, really? I, I yeah, liked really. her. I was getting those Did Michelle you? Rodriguez vibes too. You know, she was a little thing. <laughs> like, I got tough. Michelle Rodriguez vibes, and I loved it. Yeah, I was, I was in, totally in. Oh, <laughs> she that spirit was great. Did you guys just feel awkward watching it? I just felt awkward yes, watching I mean, it. I, it was awkward. It was, it, yeah, it was awkward. What were they even doing? Like, they're having this meeting in the middle of the desert, and the ship's captain's having a picnic. Yeah, the ship's captain's there in the sand, surrounded by scorpions. I mean, it was, it just played really comic. Like, it was a comical scene to me more than anything. It was, it's meant to be this really, well, I presume, this heavy hitting introduction to the sand states. You know, these are these fierce women warriors and they want revenge. But I just left with this sense of. Instead, you had a really shitty barbecue. Just like Everything was just over the top. It's like, oh, not enough that we bury this guy up to his neck. We gotta stick some scorpions on him, and yes, like, right. it's not enough that we have, you know, just Nymeria with the whip. No, we gotta have Obara with the spear, and you know, I mean, it's just like, okay, yeah. just, you know, clearly, like a little at a time. Don't clear. don't hit it so hard. It was clearly <laughs> catering or trying to cater to the viewers because why else would they have buried that guy in the sand and put like a bucket over his head rather than just having him there tied up or whatever? There has to be this dramatic reveal. <laughs> I just, you know, honestly, how else is of she all the Dornish things, I was most excited about the show Sand Snakes, and they have been the biggest disappointment. Like, I was so yeah. disappointed with this episode for that reason. Yeah. Just this scene. It was just tough to watch. It was tough to watch. No, Except Lot loved it. So. No, I don't. Okay, wait. I don't. I didn't love the I'm scene. Not a fan I didn't of the Fast and the Furious. So <laughs> I am not a fan of the Fast and the Furious. I'm forced I mean, to watch those. Like There's a difference. Mister Lot makes so much. I just really <laughs> dug the spear throwing of the scene. That's it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so Tyrion is doing a great job of being annoying. Uh, Jorah ungags him. We learn he's taking Tyrion to Daenerys, not Cersei. Tyrion identifies that it is Jorah Mormont, um, and he also guesses uh, he he was uh, Danny learned of his spying for Vera from. He was spying for Varys. And Tyrion taunts Jorah about his scheme to take him to Danny, and in return, he gets smacked. It's a short scene. Any thoughts? You know what my biggest question is? is mm. What song was Tyrion singing? There in the maid. Yeah. <laughs> it's foreshadowing, Shiki. It's the Game of Thrones theme song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, sorry, this is like totally unrelated, but it reminded me because I thought it was a neat little addition. During the Stannis and Shireen scene, did you notice that they had the um, the, mu- the song that Shireen sings, the Under the Sea, oh, 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 they had that playing in the background at one point? Oh, did they? It might have just been me. I thought it was a really lovely little oh, addition. Yeah, it was really beautiful. Oh, hey, speaking of songs playing in the background, did we all notice that during the Tarthgasm, it was the same song as they had in the Oathkeeper scene Maybe. that was playing. Maybe because Aww. you told me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me about that. <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't get to sound it. 
We'll be talking after this recording. Just a heads up. I'm gonna okay. just spanking, and I love it. <laughs> oh no, feel your heart. Let me feel your heart. Get the cams off. I go to Marine. Uh, Barristan shares a story of Rhaegar um, and his singing in King's Landing. Dario interrupts yes, with because- news that. Oh. Oh, because didn't you know that Rhaegar was like the Bono of Re- Westeros? Music on the new iPhones as well. Two mixed reviews. Anyway, uh, uh, his dar is waiting to see her with 50 to 100 others. Uh, Danny dismisses Barristan and goes to listen to his dar. And uh, he wants the fighting pits restored. Well, his star recounts the merits of these pits. Um, we see that trouble is brewing in Marine. Um, the sons of the harpy attack former slaves. Unsullied are set up to be trapped, um, surrounded on each side. They're at a disadvantage. And uh, we get Barristan coming to the scene once he hears these bell these bells. And um, we get Grey Worm, who's injured, and things are looking really bad. And then Sir Barristan arrives, and he schools some of the Sons of the Harpies. But he's outnumbered. He gets stabbed. And just before one is about to cut his throat, Grey Worm saves him. Or does he? It doesn't look good for these two. Doesn't look good for Barry, no. Okay, so let's back up. Because at the beginning of this, we had the scene of... Danny and Barristan having this talk about Rhaegar. And I love how they have, in the previous scene with Littlefinger and Sansa, they said, they have Sansa say, well, Rhaegar kidnapped and raped my aunt. And then Mm -hmm. they managed to show you a completely different side of Rhaegar to immediately make you question how that could be true. Because no, Rhaegar is this cool guy who goes out in disguise among the common people and who gives away, you know, the money that he earns and who just has drinks with his friends. I mean, rapists can be charismatic too, Chicky. (laughs) (laughs) As we've known from Jamie. Oh, too far. Sorry. Get out. Out. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, Clearly, I mean, like, could they be hitting the Rhaegar and Lyanna stuff any harder? Dude, like, no, no, they couldn't be hitting it any harder. <laughs> I mean, I, I Amelia was so good in that scene, and like, was so good in that scene. She was really good. Like, the, the, they were great together. Yeah, it's funny actually. Um, so we've got the whole uprising thing happening, and we're uh, presumably finally seeing Danny bending a little bit in terms of imposing her own kind of foreign morality on an entire populace of people. And then it's juxtaposed with the uprising of those people. I thought that was a really neat little scene. Um, I don't know, too little, too late, Danny, if she opens the fighting pits. Because you know what? Barry's dead now. No. Do you think he's dead? Is he dead? Did they kill him? Yeah. I mean, he was stabbed. I mean, we found this. We figured he was probably going to die this season just from what we were hearing. No, no, no. No, it wasn't. Grey Worm stopped it. Grey Worm stopped it. He he wasn't, yeah, his throat wasn't slashed, but he was stabbed in a a fairly precarious place. Yeah, I think he's gone. What about Grey Worm? Worm? Is Grey Worm dead? I love how Grey Worm is like trying to spoon Barristan at the end. (laughs) 
If he's Aww. dead, he's just hanging by a thread uh, right now. Hopefully, so. he makes. So, it. if this is the death of Barristan or and or Grey Worm, do you think he, they did them justice? Like, are you okay? Oh with- man, I I think Barry went out a goddamn hero. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Boromir's death scene in Lord of the Rings. Like thirty two arrows in him, and he's still fighting. <laughs> Well, I loved how he came into that, you know, hallway or whatever it was yeah, that man. I gotta say it was kind of silly of Grey Worm and his guys to let themselves get trapped in this place and not get out of it or pull out different weapons than their they spears were tricked. or something. But they were tricked. Well, sure, sure. <laughs> but Barristan like sneaks in and manages to eliminate like half the people attacking them before anybody even knows what's I going on, I which I, I kind of love. Yeah. I love that he appears and he's all like, "Why don't you pick on someone your own size?" <laughs> and then he yeah. takes most of them down before they take him down. Yeah, I thought it was. Pretty I, mean, I agree with you about the the unsullied weapons. I mean, they those long spears are not conducive to effective close range fighting. Like, I'm surprised they, they didn't know they're going to be in that little cramped alley. What's the equation like, too with like unsullied? Like they say they're worth like five soldiers or something. So how much is Barristan worth? That is that is like in <laughs> open areas. Like they've got this special formation that they use, which is meant to make them really effective fighters. But it's really only in open areas that it works. So yeah, I mean, along with the the long spears that they use as weapons, as I said, not really conducive to that close up fighting. So Grey Worm did well <laughs> to to get as far as he did. You're gonna I jump in, Eon? Yeah. I'm just really interested to find out how Danny's going to react to the news of Barristan dying because for the past, for this season, we've shown, we've seen how he's been a, a good counselor to her. He's telling her about her family that she never knew Rhaegar and the Mad King. He's been a good counselor and now she doesn't have that now. She doesn't have Jorah. So I want to see how she's going to react to this. Yeah, well, well that episode. means we she think- has a void to fill, right? And that's when you have Tyrion yeah. coming in. So I guess it all, yeah, Barry's dead. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we've seen the spoiler photos of, of Tyrion and Jorah being, being around Danny. So yeah, she could certainly use someone. I mean, Tyrion presumably wouldn't give her the same emotional support as, as someone like Barristan, but he would certainly be a good ally in terms of providing intelligence and, and good counsel. Now, whether or not Danny will, <laughs> will listen to that counsel, who knows? But yeah, I think, right. I think Danny will be devastated. Devastated about Barristan's death. Totally. I'm, I'm pretty devastated about Barristan's death. Yeah. Me too. Me too. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, I was really surprised. Even knowing it was coming this season, it felt like it was early, and I was just like, damn, already? Yeah. 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 Barry, come back. Gonna miss you, Barry. Barry come back. <laughs> All right. Well, on that happy note, do we have any thank yous? <laughs> <laughs> we do. We got some thank yous. Um, our first thank you is from Gal and Subterfuse. It says, I'm so bored with Arya's story. I mean, I was bored in the books, but I thought having hot yakin in the show would help. It didn't. Turns out that I only like sexy murder yakin, not janitor yakin. Well, he could be a sexy janitor too. I think he's a sexy janitor, okay? Never not sexy. Never not sexy. Yeah. Alright, our next one is from Via14LOL, uh, and she says, Hi guys, just spent the last week catching up on the podcast and it was great as usual. Love the highlights of Eps 1 through 35, and I totally agree with you there a lot. The listen was a lot of work. I think I get, give up after episode 10 or 14. As president of your Trini fan club, self-appointed, just wanted to say congratulations on your one-year anniversary and all the hits you've gotten. What is, was it a million? Oh, I'm sure it's that yes. by now. Yes. Yes. 
<laughs> and so Thank must you say that. I'm enjoying must say I'm enjoying season five, but not as much as Eon. Still can't believe she said <laughs> what she said, and even though I'm liking season five so far, can't wait for you guys to start. I can't believe I said that too, Vaya. Wait, what did you say? What what did you she say? said her nipples were hard. Oh god, she said her yeah. nipples were hard. Just- <laughs> And Vaya, it's so funny because my mom really wants to listen to this podcast. And every time oh. she asks me what our our podcast name is, I kind of pretend like I didn't hear her. Say you tell her like anything. Game of Owns. Why does it always come back to our boobs on this? It's Radio Westeros, mom. Thank you, Vaya. Thank you so much, Vaya. So lovely. We got two iTunes reviews, and one is from Let's Go Nats. Great podcast. <laughs> After sampling quite a few Game of Thrones podcasts, I realized that Close was by far the best. Great job, no. ladies. Aww, Four that's stars. Awesome. Or five stars. Five stars. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's a good one. Thank you. And we got another one from Doombot, and it says, I love this podcast so much, I spent $200 to listen. Whoa. Five oh. stars. Damn. Hey, Doombot. I have been listening Just... to this podcast on Podbean or something. I decided that was not practical, so I actually spent $200 getting my iPhone up and running so I could listen properly. I hope that shows my level of dedication. Keep up the awesome work. Well, I hope Damn. all our boob talk was worth it, Doombot. I was just going to say, hey, Doombot, make sure to listen to the end of this. I'm going to be giving a Patreon plug. That video will be coming soon on Patreon. <laughs> Is that the last one? All right. We have one more. Okay. From King's Token. And it says, great podcast. I'm the person who started the Reddit thread about your idea concerning Xerxes <laughs> and the, the snake necklace. I'm sorry I got the name wrong. I just quickly made the post to get other people's opinions. I turned out to be the most popular thread I have ever started. I only, recently, I only recently started listening to your podcast. I have enjoyed them so much. I started listening to a large portion of your past episodes. I really enjoy your analysis of the books and the TV show. Thanks for all your hard work, King's Token. Oh, thank you. That's awesome. That's so sweet. I'm really glad you're enjoying the yes. And I hope you. I'm glad you got some others too on Reddit. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That's it, right? And that's it. That's it. Okay. That's it. If you want to send us a message, you can at close the door and at gmail.com. You can also find us at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. If you, um, choose to send us a message there, make sure you direct all your podcast related and non negativity to guile and subterfuge.tumblr.com. <laughs> <laughs> so anything bad goes to her. There's such a high price to pay to be the how, sixth beetle, dude. How do we put an Elmore gif on here? Or <laughs> Guile of all people, it had to be Guile. <laughs> Guile was like, wait, I was negative about the show? Wait, maybe once. <laughs> the last person who should get that. Oh, okay. You can also follow us on Twitter at Door Podcast. Um, like and okay. review us. Yeah, like and review us on iTunes, please. And, um, oh yeah, the Patreon. We have Patreon, and we have three patrons already. 
with just those three people, we have, uh, if they keep giving us the same amount of money they say they are, we'll actually have our, um, sort of posting for the year. So that's awesome. Thank you so much. Sorry, that's yeah, awesome. Thank you. That's incredible. Thank you so, so much. So, yeah. So the next goal, I guess, will have to be some quality mics or something or, I don't know, on Patreon too, like, you, <laughs> what's that? Imagine us with quality sound, though. I mean, would we even be us anymore? I don't think so. I don't so. know. Maybe we'd lose <laughs> some of our charm. <laughs> you can also um free, feel free to pitch us some show ideas. We're trying to consider some to make them like Patreon exclusive. Um, and you can change that amount to like it's set right now. I think as a default for a dollar or two dollars, but you can even make it a dime if you want to. So. You don't have to make it a dime. You can make it more. I but would like just to say play there's options. And have Lot talk about how much she loves John for an episode. <laughs> well, like, you don't have to pay more than a dime for that. <laughs> Guys, somebody is so going to make us do a Danny Love episode. It's oh, coming. I think it's Guile. I'm pretty sure it's Guile that's going to make oh, us do God. it. You know what? I might, I might pay 50 bucks to make us do like a role playing game episode. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, yeah. We need a dungeon master. Oh God! <laughs> I've never, I've never done RPG. I want to do it. So if anyone's a dungeon master out there and want to be our dungeon master, just like uh, you can reach us at any of those venues I uh, named. <laughs> Garlandsubterfuge.tumblr.com. Yeah. <laughs> this is a fun one, guys. Have a good one. See you later. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Thanks, Jess. Bye. Oh, yeah, thank you, Jess. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs> well, <goodbye. laughs> what about Jess? <laughs> What's happening right now? Oh, I don't know. I'm ending it. Oh, my God.